So I wanna, we talked about God is the author of purpose two weeks ago, and we're going to continue on with that because really when we look at that, and we're in Romans chapter 12, uh, and so I want to remind you of a couple things uh, on that, is that when, when we recognize that God, God didn't withhold his own son, uh, even as we were sinners, in, in our lowest points, the, in the worst things that we've done that we don't ever want to share with anybody because we think if we keep that quiet and, and secret, then we'll somehow be a better person and all of those things. We struggle with all that. We're afraid of all of the things. The reality is that God knows all of those things. And not only does God know all of those things, but he loves you so much that he sent his own son to die for you to pay the price for those sins. And so God has a right to be the author of our purpose because he's given so much for us in, in a we have to lay down our right to self-rule. And so I want to remind you of what our definition of purpose was two weeks ago. Uh, I think it'll pop up here uh, on there. It's a purpose. Purpose is the narrative surrounding and supporting how and why you accomplish living each day. Purpose is the why you go about your life. And I think we get our purpose confused a lot with our self-centered desires. That's just, we're human beings. That's our, that's our struggle. That's our battle. That's what we're fighting, right? That's what we're dealing with. In, and in walking through that, two weeks ago, we looked at the reality that God's the author of purpose. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, or the letter to the church in Rome, uh, which Paul, Paul wrote because he was introducing himself, uh, his ministry and everything for the intention of using Rome as a home base to go on to Spain, uh, which, again, we, I love the history of it all. Uh, Paul, of course, uh, was arrested in Jerusalem. He appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen to get to Rome. He was a prisoner up there in somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 60, uh, 62 AD. Paul was released uh, from prison in Rome. And in some traditions say he made it to Spain from Rome uh, and actually went there uh, and preached the gospel. He came back to Rome in the mid-60s and then the great fire of Rome uh, Nero, when he blamed the Christians, Paul was actually executed and martyred uh, in Rome at that time, same time as Peter in that realm. So um, we walked through that. So Paul, in the first 11 chapters of that letter, lays out the, the gospel in long form, the why behind it all, what, what went on. And so from 12 on, I, Paul is now saying, well, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? How does this apply to our lives? How does this impact our lives? And so uh, really, if you read through all of that, there's so many wonderful little statements and little things, and we're going to try to read through all of that. We're not going to read all of the verses through the rest of chapter 12, uh, but let's look at uh, 3 through 21, and we talk about some of these basic principles. Uh, let's read this. Uh, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith, for just as we have many parts in one body, all the body's parts do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another. So Paul is pointing out, listen, there is, there's a diversity among us. We're not all the same thing, right? Two weeks ago, we talked about, I wouldn't want a world of just a bunch of people like me. You wouldn't want a whole world of a bunch of people like you. Uh, I'm sure you've met you. I've met me, right? We wouldn't want that. So Paul, that diversity, that that differences among us is important. Let's go on. For through the grace, um, you lost me. Go back. 
Go back one. Sorry. You know I'm reading it off the wall back there, right? I mean, I wish I could, like, I guess I memorized this for this. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not, oh, okay, go on. Yep, sorry. I only had two cups of coffee this morning. <laughs> However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly. If prophecy in proportion to one's faith of service in the act of serving, or the one who teaches in the act of teaching, of the one who exhorts, that's encouragement, by the way, in the work of exhortation, the one who gives with generosity, the one who is in leadership with diligence, the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Love must be free of hypocrisy. Detest what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Finally, the last verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What if we were to take from this passage, and in, in, in reality, 12, 13, and 14, all of those chapters are filled with these principles. But what if we were to take from these principles some concepts that would challenge us and what do we do when we follow and live a life of purpose? What does that look like? So let's talk about the first principle. Humility is the beginning of purpose. It is. First, verse 3. All right. Humility is the beginning of purpose of purpose. Now, how many of you have a great definition for humility? Anyone? It's a hard word to define, isn't it? Most of the time, we define humility by the opposite, right? Because we, we don't always know what humility looks like, but we really can tell what humility doesn't look like when someone isn't that way. Jesus, Jesus called on us as disciples, if we're going to be his disciples, that we have to give up that right to self-rule. We have to lay down ourself. We have to lay that aside and follow him, take up his cross instead of our own. We have to lay down our self-centeredness and take up the cross. Humility recognizes that God is the author of purpose, not because I'm saying so, or not, not because someone else says that God is the author, not because it's, it's there. Humility recognizes that God's the author of our purpose because he's God and we aren't. Now, that might be news to some of us. I mean, chances are we, we probably have some areas in our life where we, we wrestle with that, where we want to place ourselves in the spot where God really should be. But I can assure you there is a God. I'm not him, neither are you. He's incredible. He loves you. He loves me. But we're not him. The essence of the Christian life, I think, the, the essence of pursuing a life of purpose, I think the essence of living that out in our lives, that's the battle. What Paul calls the flesh versus the spirit in some of the other places where he wrote. Our self-centeredness versus God's will and direction for us. And there's not a person out there walking in faith, taking this journey of life, of the Christian life, who is not wrestling and fighting that exact same battle to some degree, to some level, in some way. Humility is giving credit where credit is due, recognizing that God is the source of our strength, our abilities, who we are, 
our gifts, our talents. God is the author and source of all of those things. It's giving credit where credit's due. By the way, it's not, it's not being humiliated. It's not being a doormat. It's recognizing who you really are, how God made you. We'll see that in just a second, a little bit longer. But humility puts ourself in proper perspective. I think humility recognizes that that, that person who is struggling right in front of you could easily be you next week. What they're fighting with. It's putting yourself in proper perspective. Humility sees that God gifted every person to serve and lead in his kingdom. He did, by the way. Old, young, middle, wherever you are in your life, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're leading somebody. I promise you, you may not think it, you may not have a title at your workplace that that is equal with leader, you may not have manager in it, you may not have boss, you may not have supervisor, you may not have any of those titles, but you are leading somebody with the way that you live, act, talk, and interact and relate to people. You're leading somebody, everybody leads. Humility recognizes that you are gifted by God to serve and to lead other people. Humility is an honest understanding of yourself, strengths, weaknesses, knowing that nothing really happens without the direction and the provision and the protection of God, which that's really hard to believe when the things that are happening around you are really negative and difficult in trials and tribulations, isn't it? That's a hard thing to believe that God's really in control when everything around you seems to be going out of control. But God really is. You can trust that. So the next, next principle we can pull out of this, humility is the beginning of purpose, but God gifted you to have purpose. In, uh, in 4 through 8, there are a series of spiritual gifts. Some, some people actually have referred to these as the motivational gifts, and there's a reason for that. Uh, these, these, this little list here, one of the things that we, we would look at uh, oftentimes these represent different personality types, uh, interaction types, the way in which different people re- will respond to situations. There is an old, old story in that, um, in fact, it was, it was shared with me years ago uh, by a man named Ray Zacharias. And Ray, Ray was kind of in my life for a fairly short period of time, but Ray had one of the most tremendous impacts on my life because in a point where I had people telling me that my personality would not make me a good leader, Ray stepped in to say, no, listen, everybody leads. So I can't say that that's, that, you know, that's not me. That, I mean, Ray said that to me. But he talked about the motivational gifts in Rome. And see, somebody who has the gift of mercy, which by the way, that's not mine. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I ain't there. Um, if you have a boo-boo and you want sympathy, I might be the worst person to ask. I, just up front, I've gotten a lot better than I used to be, all right? But I struggle, but I know that about myself, you know? I, but somebody with the gift of mercy, somebody who's wired with mercy, if they see something, and the story was this, you're at a dinner party, in, in the host of the dinner party is getting ready to serve dessert, and they come in, and as they come through the door, the dog gets around their feet, right? You know, because the cat doesn't care, right? But the dog really wants to be involved. 
So the, the, the dog gets around the feet and causes the dessert to be spilled. Well, the person with the, that's wired with mercy as their motivation will respond with, oh, that's okay, that's okay. You know what happens to all of us? Hey, let me tell you about a time when it happened to me. They're going to focus on helping the person feel better. Somebody with the gift of leadership, administration, organization in there, their response is going to be organized people to react. It's going to be, you, go get a broom. Hey, would you go get some washcloths? Hey, tell you what, I bet uh, somebody can go get some more ice cream at the store, right? And the person who's wired to be a giver is going to pull out a, a wallet or a purse and say, here, take, take everything I have to go buy something else. The motivational gifts tell us that God gifted you in a way that's how you're going to respond to the situations. That's how you're probably going to engage most typically in a stress or, or organizational, something that needs to happen. That's the part you're going to play. Guess what? The church, the world needs every one of them to function correctly. And the thing that the world and the church doesn't need is somebody thinking that their motivational gift is superior to the other ones because it's not. That's what Paul's making clear here. No one gift is more important or more superior to the others. Everyone's needed for this to work. God gifted you to have purpose. You are wired in a certain way. God fearfully and wonderfully made you. He gave you a personality. You might be a DISC person. You might be Myers-Briggs. You might be leading from your strengths, Enneagram, uh, whatever it is that you choose to follow, the introvert versus extrovert, all of those things. All of that, God made you with those things. He gave you those things. He gave you that personality. I told you two weeks ago, if you ever see me walking down the street and I'm talking to myself, my lips will actually move and sometimes my hands go. Okay, my family will confirm this if you want to ask them when this is over. They have seen it. Because I am an internal processor. I assure you, by the moment I get to the time where I open my mouth and start talking, I have thought through about every angle that can possibly happen in that decision. In the one that I am about to say, in the back of my head, I'm thinking you really ought to listen to it because it is well thought through. All right, but that wouldn't be a humble attitude to take towards it, right? You wrestle with that. But I'm an internal processor. That's what happens. I'm wired that way. That's all part of my personality and my gifting. I'm also a, a teacher, right? That's why if I'm at your house and, and the dessert gets spilled, I'm going to talk through what you can learn from this accident and how we can make sure this never happens again. That's where my brain goes. Well, I'll tell you, we'll see. You got the dog here. We should have put the dog up. Next time, we'll make sure the dog's put away. We'll get the dessert. You know, we'll balance out the tray a little bit better. We'll, we'll walk through it. By golly, we'll have a 12-point plan. It'll be great. You know, the person with prophecy, we all know them because they're like, well, it fell because, you know, you didn't do it right. <laughs> but but that's, that's what, so we learn from those things. We were gifted for these things. And that's, you were made that way. And so learning the strengths and the weaknesses of those gifts and how they interact is important in our Christian life. Um, you're dominant in one of those. And maybe not, maybe a couple of those things. You have a, a thing that, that rises to the top, and it's okay to live that way. That's the way that you engage with the people around you. But you also need to recognize that the person on the other side of the aisle and the other side of the conversation is also gifted with a certain way. And that's why sometimes somebody with the gift of mercy and somebody with the gift of prophecy, they might struggle a little bit with each other, right? 
because they're, they're wired quite a bit differently. But God gifted you for that. God made you that way with a plan and for a reason to use you within that. And see, it suggested maybe in Rome they were struggling a little bit. They were definitely struggling with it in Corinth. Corinth was a mess because people with certain gifts were trying to make themselves superior to everyone else. Remember that humility thing? Corinth was a chaotic mess because of that. So finally, I think the, the final principle, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to confess something to you, right? If, if, if it, God had, had worked it out where I would have been here last week, I'm sure I would have had to deal with it. But I'm actually kind of happy because, you know, I don't have to deal with chapter 13. I'm going to assign it to you as homework. Um, you should read 13 and 14 and look at the principles in there. But 13 is the one where it says honor the emperor. And I'm not exactly sure how we, how we work that one through right now, right? So I'm, I'm a little thankful I don't have to deal with that passage. Uh, Chris Barnhill said he'd take care of that uh, next week for you uh, on that. Thank you, Chris. That's, that's glorious of you. The beard's looking wonderful, by the way. All right. Anyway, so it's, I try to draw, when you go to 9 through 21, to me it reads like Proverbs again. All right. It's these collections of sayings that Paul strings together all through that. Right? It's, sometimes it's a little bit how my brain feels, like the story I told you at the beginning. You, like I'm crossing wires and all that. But I think the final principle that we, we pull out this morning is to recognize that purpose is best lived out through love. Really, purpose is only really, truly lived out through love. In, and I'm even, I'll go so far as to tell you or suggest to you, I, I mean, you're perfectly welcome to disagree with me. I mean, everybody has the equal right to be wrong. Um, but love and humility go hand in hand. See, if, if you're truly experiencing humility in Christ, not humiliation necessarily, but humility, giving credit where it's due, putting yourself aside and letting Christ live through you and that work, that's the Holy Spirit guiding you and directing your steps and all that. When you're truly living in humility, love is an outpouring from that because you see that you suddenly see things differently love comes out of that and if you're truly going to live in love by the way the word here um, is agape again remember because uh, I'm sure all of you went back and watched the sermon when I was here in February and we talked about love you've got it memorized correct right yes no all right um, four four Greek words for love agape paleo um, eros in the really awesome one is like splachna, means guts. But it, it, agape is, a, is the highest covenantal love. It's the, it's the word that's used most often for God's love for us. And in, in when it shows up, see in our English language, we just have the word love. And then we have all sorts of confusing things on how we use it. All right. And so love here is agape it's it's an unconditional covenant of love it's not based on the character or the abilities or the things of the person on the other side it's based on your character right it, it's based on you following christ it's god's god's loves us from his character but purpose is truly only lived out through love and love and humility go hand in hand if you're truly living in love you will also have humility if you're truly living in a humble way and recognizing God working through you, his power through you, 
you will live in love. They go together. Um, so all through these, these verses, there are all these little sayings. And, and, and again, I, as I read through this and I was studying and preparing for this, something came to mind, and I just want to lay this out to you uh, as a suggestion, something to read. In fact, I would challenge you to read through it and make the connection. Study the God's Word for yourself. But as these things roll through, I think Paul is making statements that relate back to the motivational gifts. Each of these little sayings relate back to one of the gifts in some way or fashion. He's reminding them the diligence with life, being fervent, serve, rejoice, persevere, be devoted, contribute, practice hospitality. All of those things. Purpose is best lived out through love. So I want you to notice something with all of this. The practice of our gifts, our relationships, our service, our leadership, our work, our habits, all of our daily interactions is love. There's something missing from this, right? And I think this is, this is what our ground in, in human being, our, our humanity, we wrestle with. So there's something missing in all of this. See, Paul doesn't say that if you, if you walk in humility and live in love, then you're going to preach to thousands. Right? And it, by the way, I'll, I mean, I'll tell you. If, if God sat down and said, Brian, what's, what do you think your purpose ought to be? I'd be like, I would love to stand up on a big platform with thousands of people out there and I can tell them what to do. That would be fantastic. But it's not my purpose. It's God's purpose, right? So he did, Paul doesn't say we're going to preach to thousands. It doesn't say that you, you're going to own a Fortune 500 company. Or a Fortune 50, or a Fortune, I don't know if there's a Fortune 1000. I, I mean, I, I don't track it all that well, but it doesn't say that you're going to own a Fortune 500. You might. Listen to me. You might. God might use you that way. But it's not a guarantee when you live in humility and live in love. It doesn't say that you're going to be a multimillionaire. By the way, if, if one of you bought that winning ticket the other day, um, I have some ideas for you. Okay. <laughs> Um, but it doesn't say that you're going to be a multimillionaire. It also doesn't say that you're going to be poor and homeless either. What it comes down to, all of it, it doesn't, there's no marital status. There's no number of kids. There's no, it's not a neighborhood. It's not a vehicle. It's not, it's not a circumstance. It's not a thing. It's not a possession. It's not a position. It's not any of those things in our lives. The thing that we, that we boils it down to, what it comes down to in all of our lives, that living a life of purpose becomes trusting the God who has you in the circumstances rather than the circumstances around you. All right? I'm going to say it one more time. Living a life of purpose is trusting the God who has you in the circumstances rather than the circumstances he has you in. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning. And Lord, this is, a life, this is a lifelong journey that we're all on. I thank you for your grace, your love, your mercy, your compassion. Lord, I thank you for your patience as you keep working with us. Lord, may our lives glorify you, not ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.